Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock, lead pastor of Harvest Bible Church in Windsor, Ontario. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Eelman, and today's title is How to Share God's Word Without Fear. We know that as Christians, we love God's Word, but sometimes we're too afraid to preach or teach or to communicate at all for fear of offending others. And in this episode, we want to identify the fears that we have in order to better position us to preach unapologetically. So Aaron, the first question I have here is, you know, the Bible both comforts us and challenges us. And as such, when we are communicating God's word to others, we might be reluctant or afraid to tell the whole truth for the fear of offending other people. And so just real simply, why do you think that's a struggle for many people? Well, I think we all understand that God's word is to be held in high regard. As uh, biblical Christians, we love God's word. We read the scriptures. We preach the scriptures. We want to hear the scriptures taught because... In the word of God, we get encouragement and correction and rebuke and promise and instruction and so much more. And in our own personal lives, sometimes it's uh, a little difficult. We have to sort of gulp and brace ourselves when God's word confronts us or corrects maybe some stinking thinking in our lives. And then other times God's word is sort of easy to receive because it affirms that we're headed in the right direction. It provides us with immediate comfort. But then Then the big challenge comes when we're seeking to communicate it or preach it or teach it to other people. And whether it's a preacher who's actually preaching a homily on a Sunday morning or a youth worker, you know, teaching a Bible study to young people or us challenging or confronting people in our church or even in the political spheres of life, uh, we know that. God's word oftentimes hurts a little bit. It convicts us or it's just plain hard to live out. And so because of that, even though we we know we're called to preach and teach and share God's word with others, the problem is we do tend to be a little selective about it. And we were tempted to stay silent if something needs to be said that may cause offense. But we need to remember that God's word is the written revelation from our creator. And you know what we often say in our church, Mm -hmm. what business, what right does a creature ever have to apologize to another creature for what the creator has said? Why rob God of glory or others of the opportunity to be transformed by the word of God properly and completely uh, preached by saying nothing or just preaching the parts that we think will be you know, easily to, uh, easily accept it. Yep. Absolutely. I think as a a preacher, I've realized those, uh, challenges. Now, what are some of the relational fears that people have about preaching or teaching the truth? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of folks, they have theological barriers, they have, uh, you know, legal concerns. We'll talk about that a little bit, but one of the fundamental reasons why people are reluctant to unapologetically preach the word of God, teach the word of God, share the word of God is because they know it might affect relationships. Mm-hmm. So several several things, what I really want to do in this episode is to help people identify potential lies or barriers in their own lives, to, to, to name them, to understand what those barriers are, those 
those uh, really enemies are or lies are that hinder them from just telling the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And one of them is the fear of losing friendships. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want to be unliked. We don't want to maybe um, uh, lose a, a lifelong friend or a longtime friend, or we're concerned that if we if we if we confront someone, it might affect family relationships. So I think that's that's a, a problem. And uh, when we do that, what we're actually doing is we're prioritizing that relationship over truth. And what we may not realize is over time, the relationship will demise. It will fall away because necessary to every meaningful relationship is is truth. Mm-hmm. Relationships don't flourish, flourish in lies, stonewalling, silence, uh, uh, half-truths. So uh, every friendship, you know, the Bible says um, that, you know, an, an, an enemy um, – now I'm just uh, sort of sort of forgetting. Enemy multiplies kisses. There we go. Thank you very much. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, here here it is. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Yes. But an but an enemy multiplies kisses. Uh, that's been one of my favorites. Uh, proverbs. I don't know why I forgot that briefly, but uh, it's the fallible mind. So it's it's a fascinating statement there that um, you know people that just kiss us that just sort of affirm us that uh, always make us feel good are, are actually enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend will risk wounding us to uh, tell us the, the truth because they're that committed to the relationship. There's also a, a huge worldview issue here in that many people are concerned about being viewed as judgmental. Yes. <laughs> so, um, you know, when we were growing up in, in church, the most popular memory verse was John three sixteen for God's love the world right and we all kind of memorized that and then we saw a little shift and all of a sudden it was Matthew seven one judge not lest you be judged <laughs> that it kind of became the most popular verse now I would say unfortunately it's a misinterpretation of Romans thirteen but um, this whole idea of don't being ju- don't be judgmental don't be judgmental don't be judgmental this is something that's like impressed on us from culture. And when we are going to confront someone, it's, we can almost hear the person saying, you know, who do you think you are? Uh, you know, do you think you're perfect? Do you think you're holier than me? And we're often resistant because we don't want to be labeled as judgmental, even though God calls us to judge. Now mm-hmm. we're not called to be judged, to judge others hypocritically, you know, the whole log in the eye, speck in the eye there. Um, but, we are called to actually call evil evil and good good, mm-hmm. and so that's that's a that's a judgment act. But it doesn't the 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 standard doesn't isn't derived from our own uh, you know human standards. It's derived from God's word. We may have also grown up in churches or in the past experienced harsh, critical preaching that wasn't redemptively applied or wasn't done in love. So we may have the perception, we got to avoid that at all costs, just sort of, you know, preach the lovey-dovey, kinder, more easily to accept passages of scripture. That can be a problem. But I'd like to suggest that if you don't tell someone the truth, when that truth is necessary for their benefit and for God's glory, for their sanctification, maybe even their own salvation, what that's actually indicating is that you don't really love that person. At least you don't love them enough to tell them the truth. 
I mean, we could give analogies from parenting. Your child is wandering toward the stove. Your toddler is going toward the stove and they just really, really want to put their hand on the hot stove. And you're thinking to yourself, this isn't going to go well. They're going to get injured by this. But it's happening so fast, you can't circle in. You have to just say, stop it. Like, just mm-hmm. yell, like be be abrupt. And sometimes in parenting, we we have to, you know, crack the proverbial whip. You know, we have to bring down the hammer, so to speak. We have to be blunt and and categorical about things. And, you know, not that truth always has to be communicated that way. Uh, oftentimes, we do have time to think about it, to... Uh, ask for a meeting, to circle in on the person, to, you know, encourage them and then finally get to the point we need to get to. But um, many folks, it's like they're too fixated on themselves and the the need to be liked, to be man pleasers, that they're not willing to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. They just want to be liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is another problem or uh, it's, it's too much of a hassle. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to deal with this conflict. I don't want to preach that hard passage. I don't want to, you know, confront my church or my youth group or my small group or my spouse or my children or whatever it might be, because it's, it's just, it's just going to create drama. Well, you have to be pretty weird to enjoy conflict. I don't know of too many people that enjoy conflict, but conflict viewed through the eyes of scripture is redemptive. Mm -hmm. Just like, um, you know, it talks about iron sharpening iron, sparks fly. When you carve a piece of marble into a beautiful sculpture, I mean, you have to hit it. You have to crack it. You have to break it. You have to take chips off of it. There's violence that's done in order to shape that uh, nondescript piece of a marble into something beautiful. And in the same way, the Lord shapes us through the hammer of suffering and confrontation and rebuke and correction. And so we're called as God's redemptive agents to exercise these things in our relationships and to not fear how people will respond, but to believe that when we speak the truth in love, that God will do a work in people's lives and there will be redemptive blessings on the other side of the conversation. Yeah. I, as you're saying that, I'm thinking to myself, it's really hard for me to speak the truth in love to people, but it gets easier the more times you do it. Even if you lose a friendship temporarily, you see them come back later saying, thank you for speaking the truth. Yeah. Those kind of moments are defining moments where you realize the value of speaking the truth. Yeah. And it and you see somebody's life dramatically change. Now, it doesn't always happen uh, the way we'd like it to, obviously. But yeah, and if people understand that the opposite of truth is is falsehood or lies, mm-hmm. that always brings about destruction in people's lives. So even though there may be an immediate offense taken when you have to confront someone or preach a hard truth, if you don't do it, that person will eventually experience spiritual demise regardless. So you got to think long-term. Yep. Uh, you know, if someone's, let's say, a gossip and you don't want to confront them because they're going to freak out or maybe gossip about you, you do it anyway because you know that that protects them from ruining future relationships, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to think long-term and too often we think in the moment and when we do confront folks, of course, you know, we, we, we become more skillful at it as well. And it becomes, it's not, it's never fun, but it becomes a little more natural. And you, you know, you learn how to do it better and better with, with practice. Yep. 
Fair enough. How about this question? How about biblical misunderstandings that hinder unapologetic preaching? What might be some of those biblical misunderstandings? Well, I think there's a lot of folks that have the notion that God is just a God of grace and they don't realize that God is also a God of judgment or wrath. They have this notion that, you know, we're all kind of down here. We're pitiful. We're broken. We're sinners. And God just comes and makes all things new in the here and now. And he does that by hugging us and patting us on the back and whispering sweet nothings into our ears. And of course, God is gracious and God is loving, but God is not afraid to give us a, you know, a, a, a biblical backhander now and again as well. And so we need to help people to understand if you study the scripture from cover to cover, you'll discover that there is a God who is incredibly gracious and merciful and loving and kind and he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother, but he's also a God of justice and wrath and punishment and holiness and all of these things, uh, God in his perfection is able to hold in perfect balance. So you, you can't be in a, you can't be a genuine, honest Christian and not acknowledge that there are some hard truths in the scriptures that are offensive. I don't care how you try to retranslate them to make them sound less offensive. They, they are offensive to rebellious human beings, but they are for God's glory and our good. Mm-hmm. I think though that many times we mistake uh, convicting preaching for condemning preaching. So in, in the scriptures, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, let's say you're speaking, you're preaching or teaching or sharing the gospel with uh, a Christian audience, you know, you need to remind people of Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. So when we preach then as Christian pastors to a Christian audience, we don't preach to uh, threaten them with hellfire. We don't preach to threaten them with damnation because they've been redeemed by the blood of a lamb. They've been redeemed from hellfire. They've been redeemed from eternal condemnation. There's no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that very clearly. But we are interested in conviction, which almost sounds the same, but it's a very different concept. So we're interested in conviction. When we preach the hard truths of scripture, we want the spirit of God to convict us of blind spots or weaknesses in our lives so that we can repent and change. So we want our, if, if there's stinking thinking, we want that to be challenged. If there's heart issues, we want that to be challenged. If there's things we're viewing or saying or places we're going that are sinful, we want to be challenged by that. And um, folks can come to church and they can, you know, sometimes hear a heavy sermon and they think, well, you're just condemning me. No, no, no. If you're a Christian, we're not preaching to condemn you, but we all should be open to the conviction of the word of God that within conviction, there is blessing, uh, there's motivation and there, and there is hope for change. Another thing that often stands in the way is some folks are just unsure if they've properly interpreted a passage. So let's say you're dealing with someone who has a very loosey-goosey view on divorce, which has been a debatable issue in many churches for a long time. And they're like, well, I know you're working on divorce number three, but I'm not sure if I should really say anything or confront you because I'm not really clear about how that all works in scripture. I haven't studied it enough and so forth and so on. 
Well, if a person has only been a Christian for a week, okay, we're going to give you a pass. You're probably not going to know that much about God's word. But if you're a seasoned believer, you should have a biblical viewpoint on this. The Bible teaches on these subjects. And if there's still a lack of clarity, well, consult your spiritual leaders, your your elders, your pastors uh, for, for insight. Because if you're going to be well-equipped to deal with people, most of the time the issues that people deal with are pretty pretty standard. So, um, you know, every once in a while, someone comes to you with a temptation or a sin that's very unusual you haven't heard about before. But most of the time, people are people are people are people, and they're dealing with the same issues. So if you have biblical advice on how to deal with substance abuse, how to deal with marital issues, parenting issues, financial management, and sexual addiction, you could probably do 95% of the counseling that a professional biblical counselor does. Because mm-hmm. these are the common issues that that people are going to come and want to talk to you about. So you need to study those scriptures and have a biblical worldview of um, uh, you know, how the scriptures addresses those, those uh, challenges. Um, I suppose another thing would be that, uh, you know, we sometimes you know, you're dealing with people that are a little bit ornery and they may accuse you of cherry picking scripture or not balancing scripture. So that, that can be a, a fear. And then I would say that um, folks have, a, especially in Western culture, we very much have a live and let live mm-hmm. mindset, except for, you know, politically correct issues. Right. Um, but for the most part, we have like a live and let live issue where it's like, well, what's what's true for you is true for you. It may not be for me, but whatever. What's right for you is right for you, but, you know, it may be wrong for me. We have a very much of a live and let live mentality and we are products of culture. So it's hard to sort of wean ourselves off or out of those lies when we're speaking with folks. But again, Uh, The word of God brings life and healing and truth and redemption. And so we always have to take people back uh, to the word of God and uh, ground our rebuke, our encouragement, our instruction, and our correction in the 66 books of the canonized word of God. Now, do you think, as you mentioned, our live and let live kind of mentality that part of the issue might be an authority issue. We've talked about that on several other podcasts, but where a pastor or a a teacher of God's word doesn't recognize the authority that they have to bring conviction or to, to be used of by the Holy spirit to bring conviction in people's lives. Do you think that might play a factor or not main issue? I think it does, especially if you're in a position of authority. So parents are being presented with sort of a, culturalized view of what it means to be a parent. Maybe they get their parenting advice from, you know, the various talk shows on, uh, you know, on on television and, uh, or sitcoms often um, affect people's perception of what, you know, real family relationships look like. And in, in culture in general, I would say that there's, there's been a flattening of, role relationships there's it's like a radical egalitarianism that has affected marriage parents and children uh pastors their con- and their congregations etc and so we we have this um notion that well everybody's equal and what we fail to do is we fail to differentiate between what i would call ontological equality and functional equality so ontologically you know, ontology is sort of the study of being and philosophy. 
ontologically, we are all equal. We're all made in the image and likeness of God. We are valuable and special and precious to God. And in that sense, we are equal, but functionally, we are not equal. So functionally, people are assigned different roles as part of their stewardship of life. We see this reflected even in the triunity of God, where God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all fully and equally God, but the Son submits himself to the will of the Father in terms of his function and his his role. So we shouldn't have a problem with this in human relationships if God's comfortable with it in his own being and in his, in his own essence. Um, so we, we come into a life of, let's say, a church, to use as an example, because you mm-hmm. and I are pastors, and you preach authoritatively, and you got the guy three rows back that's like, well, who do you think you are? You're just a brother in Christ like me. You know, Do you think you're a better Christian than I am? Like, You can't preach like that to me, or you can't counsel me like that. And they almost have this notion that you're presenting yourself as being closer to Jesus or a more, you know, a, a more special, um, you know, it's like that old bumper sticker, Jesus loves you, but I'm his, you know, I, I'm his favorite. favorite. <laughs> it's, it, they think that you, you see yourself that way. And parents as well, like, I don't want to discipline my kid, you know, I, I'm, they may not like me. I, I want to be a friend to my kid. I just want to be my kid's best friend. All of these anti-creational, anti-biblical views leak into church relationships, parent-child relationships, and they create confusion. So we need to remind people, if you're a parent, yes, you are no more human. You are no more made in the image of God than your five-year-old child, but you functionally have been placed in a position of sacred authority over your children It's your responsibility to teach them, to instruct them, to discipline them, to train them up in righteousness. If you're a pastor, an elder of a church, you're not better than other people, but you've been called to a high office and you are responsible to be able to understand the word of God and articulate the word of God and to exercise church discipline over your flock. And if you don't, you are forsaking your responsibilities under God. So it's it's really important for us to emphasize this over and over again. Same in marriages. Uh, the husband is functionally the head of his wife. He has a spiritual authority over her and over the direction of the relationship, even though he's not he's not necessarily more competent. Uh, you know, he may have come to faith in Jesus Christ after her. You know, she may be an extremely high functioning. A witty, sharp-thinking woman, but functionally, he's the one that's going to have to stand before God and give an account for the spiritual dimension, for the overall direction of the relationship. So, you know, day by day, you're not going to necessarily pull rank over, you know, decaf or full brew, but you, you, when push comes to shove and you have a problem in your marriage pertaining to, let's say, how to discipline a child or you're considering a move and you just, you're at loggerheads or you can't quite make that decision or a major financial expenditure, ultimately the husband needs to prayerfully go to the Lord deliberate over the issue and come back and make a decision. And that decision is binding upon his wife. So there's lots of examples like that in scripture and human nature is to buck authority, right? It's to buck authority. And this is part of just the fallen world within which we live. I was just talking to a brother an hour or so ago, we were out for coffee and I said, you know, it's interesting, even in the wolf pack, if if, uh, a beta wolf senses a weakness in the alpha wolf, he will challenge the alpha wolf 
for the position of authority. Mm-hmm. And that's just part of fallen creation. And it happens in, in churches, it happens in marriages, it happens in families, where if parents don't lead or husbands don't lead or pastors don't lead, they think they're sort of freeing themselves from conflict or drama. And they just create ab- an absolute nightmare for themselves because people are confused and their followers begin to attack at, at times or be gro- become disillusioned with their authority. So authority is a biblical idea. Mm-hmm. There's delegated authority. God ultimately is the ultimate authority, but there's delegated authority um, in all the different spheres of life. And and we want to champion that. Awesome. Okay. How about this response? Uh, People are often thinking when they're afraid of unapologetically preaching about the legal consequences, especially in a country like Canada, where there's increasingly speech laws that are coming into place and whatnot. There seems to be a big deterrent um, and they might be concerned about lawsuits, for example. Yeah, well, you know, you ha- you have all sorts of huffing and puffing going on with different special interest groups. I mean, the folks that are frankly the uh, the worst at this are the uh, the folks that have like the radical sexual um, mm-hmm. uh, agendas. Like w- one would be like the LGBTQ community. Although I don't think it's a community. Okay, there's not like a group of people that are part of a community. That's just a collection of sexual sins that people happen to happen to participate in, but they want us. They want you to think they're a community, so you almost think of them as an ethnic group or some special group within culture. And they they're very ingenious with their uh, marketing because they they band together or they present themselves as almost like a, a minority group. But that would be a group that that has been known to to huff and puff and threaten. Uh, folks that you know call them out for their behavior. Now, th- this probably doesn't need to be said, but I'll say it anyway. Like, obviously, uh, sin is sin, and uh, any sin can separate us from an eternal God, and we need to confront sin. Period. Like, mm-hmm. if a person is a glutton, there's yep. one of the, the the silent sins that hardly anybody preaches on. If a person is a glutton. They overeat, they overdrink. Um, they need to be confronted for that. That is a biblical sin. If a person is lazy, Bible says if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. If he doesn't provide for his own, he's worse than an infidel. If he's a lazy bum and he sits at home all the time and uh, doesn't work and doesn't provide for his family, that is a sin. Flat out, it's a sin. So we need to preach against all sin, not just against homosexuality or bestiality or whatnot. But um, the the reality is, is that some of these groups, and especially the groups that are, that specialize in sexual impurity are putting a lot of pressure on churches. Well, don't, you can't speak to those issues. You can't preach on those issues. And um, there's almost like a whole industry that's been created as to how to sort of skirt the, the legal consequences and ramifications, even insurance companies are increasingly knowingly or unknowingly participating in the governance of churches by putting all these policies in place for how we interact with children to mitigate against liability. And I'm not opposed to those in theory, but there's, there's a concern when the insurance company starts to tell you what you can say and, and how you can yep. do ministry when they've never, half of them have never even been in church. So folks are often concerned about the legal ramifications, uh, you know, people don't want to be, um, uh, 
charged with hate, hate crimes, hate speech, etc. I would just say to that, uh, don't live in fear. Uh, the word of God doesn't change. Uh, you don't need to necessarily ride a particular hobby horse and unnecessarily infuriate people just to make a point. Uh, you don't need to be a, a drama queen about it, so to speak. But if the if you're a systematic expositor of God's word and you're preaching through a text and that issue comes up, preach it, preach it clearly. Don't be ambiguous about it. Apply it directly to the cultural issues and let God bring blessing out of that. Mm -hmm. And if in the process, a bunch of folks are standing out of your front of your church with picket signs or you're getting heat on social media, let them huff and puff. Um, if they try to you know, threaten you to take away your whatever building property money, let them huff and puff. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, we're not driven by hatred. We're driven by love for these people. They are stumbling in the darkness. The uh, devil has them by the, by the throat. And our responsibility is to function like physicians. We're going to say there's a disease here and this disease needs to be dealt with. And here's the remedy. Here's God's word. This is what God's word has to say about it. And many, many folks have been rescued from a life of destruction and abject despair through the faithful preaching of the word of God. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's something that should inspire us and bless us. Like initially, yeah, they were offended by it, but they, they listened to the words of God preached by you and their lives are transformed by it. So let's not, um, let's not spend too much time writing policies and, you know, doubling up in our insurance and spending all time worried about what people are going to think. We preach the truth in love and we, we let God do with that, whatever he chooses to do. Mm -hmm. It's good. Good word. Um, as we continue to think about unapologetic preaching, I know one of the things that I, as I talk to people, personal fears come up quite a lot, um, personal hangups that might hinder unapologetic preaching. And so maybe you could highlight a few of those. One of the things we all wrestle with as honest preachers is our own inadequacy. That's right. So we sin, right? We're not um, fully sanctified yet. And we're looking forward to that day when we'll be made new and be fully glorified. But it is, it's awkward if you're a regular preacher and teacher of God's word and you're, you're in the Bible and you're like, oh man, I got to preach this, but I, I haven't arrived in that area. So one of the things that holds us back is a fear from preaching the truth of God is that we may not be applying it fully to our own lives yet. And so we don't want to be labeled as hypocritical, so we just avoid it. Mm -hmm. And then we just habitually avoid it maybe. Well, um, my solution to that is that whenever we uh, preach the word of God, we need to allow it to arrest us first and convict us first and bless us first and rebuke us first and instruct uh, us first. And if you haven't found victory over a sin, for example, but you're, you're in the text and you're, you're called to preach it, well, you can, you don't need to, you know, air your dirty laundry in front of your congregation, but you can say, look, brothers and sisters, I got to tell you, I was convicted by this this week. I got to tell you, this is a hard one for me to preach because I realize like I haven't arrived in this area. Like I live in the same world that you do. But by God's grace, this is the message he's given to us. And even though I'm the, the, the spokesman today, Hey, I got to tell you, I'm sitting under the preaching of God's word myself. 
and this God is working in my life too, just as he's working in yours. So if you're, if you're in church, you're in my study group and you're, you're sort of feeling a little uncomfortable with this. I just got to tell you, I'm feeling kind of uncomfortable with it as well. Mm -hmm. So that kind of honesty when you preach is, is a beautiful thing that in and of itself is a blessing to your people, but it also allows you to preach through the word of God systematically with, without avoiding the heavy subjects for fear of, you know, mm -hmm. f faking it. Cause you don't want to fake it. You don't want to pretend you, you got it all together. Um, another one would be, I think another hindrance is just sort of struggling to figure out how to apply this to today's context. So, there are times when you're, you're you're preaching the word of God and you're studying it or you're getting ready to preach it. And you're like, oh, I, I know I know exactly how to apply this to the current context. I mean, I can see almost like a one for one, um, you know, analogy between the ancient world and the modern listener. But there's other times when it may be a little difficult to, uh, you know, preach. So if you're if you're preaching, for example, on some sort of a like obs obscure sin, like the kind of sin that people don't really talk about or people don't tend to, uh, you know, ad admit to you, or you don't even know anyone that's maybe committed that sin. Let's say you're, let's say you're preaching on murder. <laughs> and you're like, well, how many people do I really know that have murdered others? I can't think of too many, maybe none. So when you're preaching those kinds of passages, people might be tempted to skip them because it's such an extreme act. And you're like, I don't think this is really relevant. Well, what's fascinating mm -hmm. is that when you lean into those texts that address what we would otherwise consider maybe obscure sins, chances are there's someone out there that has committed that sin, mm -hmm. maybe several. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to tell a bunch of stories in this podcast just to, to tantalize the, 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 uh, sort of the the minds of the listener because, you know, there's some foul things that I've been told over the years. But uh, there are people who have committed some abominable acts. And, um, you know, you, you, you have people in the real world that are committing murderous acts or have committed the sin of bestiality. And, it, you know, th these sorts of things are, are – um, uh, probably quite a bit more rare than gossip mm -hmm. or hatred or a lustful thought, but they're there. And uh, so you, you you preach them and just let the Lord do what the Lord's going to do. We also might at times struggle to preach the whole counsel of God's word unapologetically because of ignorance. So we need to make sure that we're constantly growing in our understanding of what's right and wrong. I mean, even in uh, the current situation. We're all growing. We're all trying to think through ethical issues that maybe we haven't thought about much before. I know uh, you and I were talking earlier today, like a lot of Christians are really thinking through and they haven't necessarily arrived at mm -hmm. clear cut conclusions yet. They're really thinking through, you know, the ethics of vaccinations and over the counter medicinal treatments that are tested on or maybe cultured in fetal stem cells. And, you know, we, we didn't used to think about that, like Tylenol, Benadryl, Sudafed, like what do those have to do with all of that? Mm -hmm. But there's, there's a connection there. We're thinking through how much of the modern medical establishment is 
is either present tense or historically connected to evil and injustices. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're thinking through those kinds of issues. And, and if there's sort of new issues for us to think about, we may need a little time to sort of get there. And, and um, so that would be another thing, or we may be embarrassed by God's word because it seems so old fashioned. Mm -hmm. And uh, an example of that, I would say is role relationships between men yeah. and women. I think that's a pretty huge one because culture's done a tremendous job in embarrassing and bullying and shaming people who are complementarian and highlighting those that are more egalitarian, meaning that they don't see any functional differences between the sexes or between husbands and wives. And when you preach that, because you know, we're, we're, we're part of this culture, there is always like a, a little bit of a, a human uh, tendency to, to just kind of second guess or question, do I really want to say that? Like people are going to misunderstand or they're going to think, well, this guy's like, what did you just step out of the dark ages? Mm -hmm. um, you know, he, some some folks even go so far as soon as you preach anything historical or, um, you know, uh, biblical, the kind of stuff that Christians preach for centuries, but haven't in the last hundred years, we must be a cult leader, you know, or. <laughs> yeah, that's a favorite to throw around. <laughs> oh, that's a favorite. Yeah. And people don't even know what that word means, but there is a little bit of a fear at times it creeps into people's lives. They're almost, almost embarrassed mm -hmm. by God's word or people try to embarrass you. Oh, you're, you're against slavery. Well, how can you just, how can you justify the fact that the old Testament has laws about slavery? You're like, um, uh, oh, I never thought about that. Um, oh, well, that's just the Old Testament, you know, yeah, and then or some other lame excuse. So we need to study God's word, not be embarrassed by it so that we can understand it. The end of the day, if we love God above all others, but we're also growing in our relationship for, for, for people. But if we love God above all others, we will preach to them everything that their creator has written. Mm -hmm. One analogy I like to use and every human analogy, analogy oft, often falls short, always falls short of you know, the divine analogies. But think of uh, purchasing a car. Mm -hmm. So you purchase a car, you get an owner's manual with it. Let's say it's one of those real technical manuals, like a Haynes manual. So you get the owner's manual and a Haynes repair manual. Well, you know, you and I know how to maybe pull an engine apart, put it back together, but we don't have the the knowledge that the engineers that Mm -hmm. design that engine necessarily have. And so if they say, no, the brake fluid goes here and the radiator fluid goes here and the transmission fluid goes here, well, that's where you put the fluids that are necessary for your engine and the uh, mechanical systems of your car's car to function properly. You would say, well, you know, milk's cheaper. So I'm going to start <laughs> using milk in place of oil or Coca-Cola in place of radiator fluid. No, you, you don't. You you are the 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 consumer, mm -hmm. and so you rely upon the expertise of the creator, the engineer, yep. to treat the car the way the car is supposed to be treated. Now, um, by the way, a little sidebar: um, my dad sometimes sends me these little these little jokes, yeah, and um, he sent me one through. This just came to mind. He sent me one through the email, and it's sort of like. Then versus now, like, remember when this used to be the tr true and remember when that used to be the true. And one of them was funny because it's, it, it was a little thing that said, do you remember when automotive manuals used to actually teach you how to adjust the valves in your engine? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and now, you know, they're like, 
don't touch this, take it to a professional technician. <laughs> yeah. like it, it's just kind of showing how we've, we've dumbed down culture and, and largely because people are so incompetent in uh, areas outside of their, their specialty. Like we've created a culture of specialists and people that, you know, just mm -hmm. have very, very, uh, you know, limited capacity. And, and I think we need to fix that by the way, but that's a little sidebar. Yep. Back to the automotive illustration. You have to treat the car the way the engineer has designed the car to be treated. And in the same way, we are created, we're engineered by God, and we need to act and treat our bodies and function in a way that our creator, who's the divine engineer, has designed us to be created. Mm -hmm. And when we don't, so if God says, okay, you're sexual beings, I created your sexuality biologically, and emotionally and spiritually, and these are the boundaries within which you should exercise your sexuality, then we look at God's word and we say, okay, the creator says this is right and this is wrong, mm -hmm. so we obey him. But as soon as we step out of that, we're like, no, we're gonna do things our own way. We're gonna be promiscuous. We're going to um, you know, fornicate, commit adultery and be unfaithful in marriage and view pornography and, you know, participate in all sorts of debauchery. Then we destroy ourselves and we dishonor God, but we also destroy ourselves. Like those kind of lifestyles never bring blessing, mm -hmm. right? So it's really important for us to love God more than we love self. And if we love God, then we will preach God's word wholeheartedly because we believe he's our creator, he's the divine engineer, and he knows what's best for us. Mm -hmm. So th this motivates me when I preach or teach, and I know oh, I'm probably gonna get an email on this one, probably gonna get some pushback. I'm gonna do it anyway, because my engineer says this is what's true and this is what's false, and this will only bring blessing to people. Yeah. Now, as you brought that analogy up, I was thinking to myself, there's some people obviously that, you know, they, they want to throw milk in where the oil is. Uh, then there's a lot of people that are maybe they're like, well, we know oil is the right thing. So we'll silently put it in, but we're certainly not going to out front say about it. Uh, they're kind of apologetically preaching the truth. They're like, well, this is what God says. I'm sorry. He says it, but we go one step further and we're like, no, if the creator said it, not only do we not apologize for it, but it's a celebrated good thing. Like yeah. we celebrate complementarian, we celebrate uh, sure. theology, right? It's a, yeah. it's a beautiful design. Mm -hmm. It's not just a inconvenient truth, right? Yeah, we, we believe it, but then we also need to like trust in it and champion it because it is best. Mm -hmm. But sometimes if we're come from a lot of brokenness or deep rooted sin, we might believe before we fully trust and maybe trust mm -hmm. before we're fully implementing it, but we're moving in that direction. And, uh, but when you get to a point where you're like, this is great, this is a beautiful thing. Like marital sexuality is the most beautiful. It really is the only beautiful expression of our sexuality. Mm -hmm. The rest of it is, is very dark, very dehumanizing, very dissatisfying. So, we learn to um, love the application of God's word when we've practiced it. When, when someone has practiced marital sexuality according to God's design, just use as an example, it's, it's a blessed thing. But if you've never experienced that and you've experienced or participated in sin, well, first you need to believe that what God has said is true and what you're doing is wrong. You believe that. And then you, you, you trust in it. You, you, uh, you hold to it. You appropriate it. Mm -hmm. And then out of that, 
you you're living it out. And as you live it, you're like, wow, like I, I wish I'd have known this earlier. Like this is a beautiful thing. This is this is pure. This is uh this is good. This brings blessing. So there's there's sort of a, a progress uh, in our in our sanctification, we believe in progressive sanctification. But there's also sort of a, a a progress in our enjoyment of our own sanctification. Hmm. That's an interesting thought. Uh, final question for you: What convictions are necessary to preach unapologetically? And I know we've hit on some of these, but if you could just refresh and kind of bring up to the surface, what convictions are necessary to preach unapologetically? Well, 2 Timothy 3, I would point the listener to that, and 1 Timothy 4, which are both, uh, sorry, 1 Peter 4 and, and uh, 2 Timothy 3 are both passages that speak about the nature of Scripture. So the nature of Scripture, God's Word is, is living, it's breathing, it's transformative. It's been given to us by a, a good God for His glory and for our benefit. So you need to understand that the, the nature of Scripture is it's a living, breathing, active word of God, which is profitable for our rebuke, our our, our training in righteousness, et cetera. Uh, we also, um, you know, we can acknowledge that there are passages in scripture that are not necessarily needy, uh, uh, easy to, to understand. And therefore we need to study scripture progressively. The more we study the Bible, the more the rest of scripture comes to light. We, um, you know, when we're, when we're preaching or teaching or sharing God's word, uh, you know, we, we often do it in sections, right? And, and yet when we're studying a section of scripture, preaching a section of scripture, a passage, the, the rest of scripture also comes to bear on that because scripture interprets scripture. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're always refining and fine-tuning our understanding of Scripture, but we also need to realize that we are, um, we're not the author, we're just the, the messenger, we're sort of the delivery boys, we're the ambassadors, we are representing the king and his message. This is really important. We need to own it, we need to believe in it, but it's not our message, it's the king's message. So we're passing that along as his ambassadors. And then, as we've said many times in this podcast and others, we need to remind ourselves that we are create creatures. We mm -hmm. are creatures. We are part of a created order, and we don't apologize. How dare we apologize to any other creature mm -hmm. for what the creator God has said? So I would just encourage folks, as they did in uh, you know the early church, Acts 20, um, go ahead and preach the full counsel of God's word. And trust the Lord to take his word and use it as he sees fit. And when you preach the word of God, you may not always see the immediate blessing or result you're looking for. In fact, people may hate you for it. Mm -hmm. They may despise you for it. You may lose your job or your life for it. But you preach the truth and God's word never returns void. So if his word is going out to bring judgment, it'll do that. Mm -hmm. if, his, if his word is going out to bring revival and restoration, it'll do that. If his word is going out to encourage the, the, the brokenhearted, uh, it will do that. You are his spokesman or spokeswoman, and you are responsible as you're teaching your children or interacting with your spouse or you know the neighbor over the fence. You tell them the truth 
Obviously, you want to preach it and share it in a language they can understand and bring clarity to it, just like um, you know Nehemiah did for the people of God. Mm-hmm. But we bring we bring the word of God to bear. We explain it to them, and we tell them the truth in love, and then we allow God to do what He sees fit. And I can tell you, there's a, there's been many many times as a veteran preacher where I have preached the word of God. And in my humanness, in my in my weak humanness, I've been thinking to myself, even as I'm preaching it, oh man, I wish I didn't have to say this. This is not gonna, people are gonna not like me. They're gonna come after me. But you know, the conviction of the spirit comes over me and I'm like, I have to say it. I have to preach the truth. And there's just, there's blessing that comes out of that. And it, it, may, be a, it may be immediate. Like people may tell you immediately, that was, I was so blessed by that. I needed to hear that. Thank you for that. Other times you may have to wait a little while but there's always blessings. So while we might have regrets and we should for not preaching the whole counsel of God's word, we will never have regrets for preaching the whole counsel of God's word. So let's share God's word without fear. Let's share it unapologetically. And let's trust that the Lord will continue to use the faithful proclamation of the word of God, both testaments to bring life and liberty and healing and revival to people's lives and even to to the nations of our world. Well, that's leadership now for this week. Thank you so much, Aaron. Appreciate it. Uh, just a reminder to our listeners, uh, not only to subscribe to this podcast, but there's also other great resources from Harvest Bible Church. Uh, Pastor Aaron's sermons are online, posted regularly to YouTube. And there's a podcast for that if you search up Harvest Windsor. Also, the Leadership Now podcast is available on Canada's Constant Christian Companion. That's CJXC Radio at 11 a.m. Tuesdays and rebroadcast 11 p.m. Thursdays. And also as a reminder, for those of you that have not yet done it, there's the Fight, Laugh, Feast app that you can download. We're hosted on their network. Great app, lots of resources there, some other podcasts to check out. So please do that. Make sure to share it and uh, get the word out and then make sure to preach yourself the truth of God's word and come back next week to hear another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock. Mm -hmm.